This episode of Killer Heart to Hearts contains explicit language and may discuss potentially triggering topics such as drug use and graphic descriptions of violence and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Killer Heart to Hearts, where we bring you true crime cases in story form. I'm Elise Bidel. And I'm William Cannon. Thank you for being here, you guys. This is a big one. Welcome back to the season four finale and the conclusion of The Lost Boys, the story of the mysterious disappearance of four young men from rural Bucks County, Pennsylvania in July 2017, and how one man's descent into madness was behind it all. And we are going to get into all of it. But before we do, if you're a fan of true crime and story form, and you'd like to support the show, we hope that you'll give us a like, rating, review, or a follow wherever you listen to us, or on any of the social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, X, and TikTok for additional content. Or you can visit our website, KillerHeartToHearts.com. So, Elise, season four finale. I know. Crazy, right? I mean, we have over 50 episodes under our belt. You know, we started this podcast last year as a fun, creative thing to do in our spare time. And we had absolutely no idea what we were doing. And to be honest, I was like, eh, we'll probably end up doing 10 episodes and then get bored. But we have kept it going and growing and have learned so much. And I love doing it. And I especially love doing it with you. Well, me too. That's convenient, isn't it? But seriously, this podcast is one of my absolute favorite things that I get to do in my life. And I am so proud of what it's become. Well, here's to 50 more then. Yes, here's to the next 50, and then the 50 after that, and the 50 after that. (laughs) And no matter what, as we continue on this journey, we will also continue to strive to get better along the way. And now we've come to the part of our program where, usually, I would talk for a few minutes about something related to our story before we actually get into the story itself. Something that shares a common element or theme. But, this being a two-parter, we've already met all the players. Hell with it. And besides, what more is there to say, really, than no one saw this coming? But maybe they should've. It's not like there weren't warning signs that Cosmo DiNardo had lost his fucking mind. He had had anywhere from 30 to 40 interactions with police in the lead-up to what happened. That's excessive. And then there were the rumors about his mental health and the outbursts, the violent attacks. It was an open secret. Cosmo was deranged and everybody knew it. So, maybe get your weed somewhere else. Now, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, and I'm not trying to victim blame. As you're about to hear, it's crystal clear who's responsible for what happened. And it sure as hell isn't those boys who went missing. 
All I'm trying to say is, before stuff like what happened happens, there are usually signs. It's up to us to read them. This is Killer Heart to Heart. After Dean Finicaro went missing on July 7, 2017, his family diligently worked their way through his friends list and, one by one, each and every friend Dean had reported that they hadn't a clue where Dean was. And many of them, unprompted, began showing up at the Finicaro home and giving statements to police. The point being, all of them made themselves useful, and made themselves available. Well, almost all. All except one. There was one friend of Dean's the Finicaro family had been unable to get a hold of. Cosmo DiNardo. Not exactly surprising. Cosmo and Dean, it seemed, hadn't been all that close of friends to begin with. And Cosmo's behavior by then had deteriorated to such a degree that he had lost most of his friends. All of them, really. Hence the need to be set up on play dates with his second cousin, Sean Kratz, by his mother, Sandra. But Sandra, it seems, was at the end of her rope. Cosmo had become increasingly unhinged and difficult to control. He was on and off his meds, hallucinating and hearing voices while violently acting out. I'll give you an example. His father, Tony DiNardo, had developed a bit of a reputation as a philandering man-whore over the years, and Cosmo took note. Tony's infidelities infuriated Cosmo to the point that the two came to physical blows one day after Cosmo took a baseball bat to the car of one of Tony's girlfriends. And in November of 2016, Cosmo confessed to his psychiatrist that he had actually hunted his father once with an AR-15, but decided not to kill him. That didn't stop Cosmo from attacking Tony inside the cab of a truck while Tony was driving, however, an altercation that led to Cosmo's third and final involuntary commitment to a psychiatric hospital. Cosmo spent three weeks in the hospital, where it was determined that he was both homicidal and suicidal, and where he constantly threatened hospital staff. Doctors told Cosmo's family that Cosmo was delusional, grandiose, manic, and hyperverbal. And Cosmo told doctors if he had a gun, he'd kill them all. Okay, I cannot imagine how scary it would be to be afraid of my own child. Like, what do you do? You know, you and I don't have kids, so this is from an outside perspective. But, like, how the hell do you sleep at night when you are legitimately afraid of the person you gave life to? Yeah, that's got to be one of the worst feelings imaginable. That. That paradox. You know, how do you reconcile the love you have for your child 
with what has got to be constant alarm bells telling you that you have to protect yourself and others from him. Totally. Yeah, that has to be wild and very confusing. As Christmas approached, Cosmo got even worse, if you can believe that. Swallowing fistfuls of antipsychotics to control his psychotic behavior came with alarming side effects, like foaming at the mouth and uncontrollable shaking. And according to his mother, Sandra, Cosmo had become increasingly profane and would stare through her with dead, emotionless eyes. He also began bragging to friends and family about selling guns and drugs. But remember, Cosmo was delusional, so no one can be sure if he ever actually did. Sell guns and drugs, I mean. But his psychologist noted, following their December 19th appointment, that after Cosmo made vile sexual comments to his own mother that day, he told the doctor stories of selling drugs, cutting someone's head off with a chainsaw, and feeding him to an alligator. Later that day, Cosmo punched Sandra, kicked an elevator, and lewdly hit on a receptionist at his psychiatrist's office. He also couldn't stop fucking swearing. Sandra, terrified that Cosmo was going to kill her, pleaded with the doctor to change up Cosmo's meds, and he did. And for a minute, the new prescriptions worked. Sandra described it as a Christmas miracle. The old Cosmo was back. The miracle was to be short-lived, however, as just two days after Christmas, Cosmo was describing himself as a savage on Facebook. And then, the day before his 20th birthday, Cosmo was back on Facebook, this time crudely asking for someone to gift him birthday sex. Look, these are obvious examples of the manic, poor judgment Cosmo was exhibiting, which is indicative of the kind of impulse control issues someone suffering from a traumatic brain injury can expect. And then in February, Cosmo was pulled over and found to be in possession of a shotgun and ammo. Uh-oh. As a person who's been involuntarily committed to a psychiatric institution, and three times at that, that's a felony under Pennsylvania law. No one who's been involuntarily committed for psychiatric care can possess a gun. Period. And although these charges were ultimately dropped due to faulty paperwork, this is an important detail to keep in mind for later. And later in February, Cosmo got into a fight at Temple University in Philadelphia. He got a black eye and was cut on the face with a bottle. But his doctors concluded that he wasn't a threat to himself or others even though he posted pictures of his busted-up face online, declaring that whoever jumped him was a dead man. He had gotten worse. Again. Cosmo had been off his medication for two days, and it showed. But then, 
the damnedest thing happened. Cosmo began to get better. And by late March, doctors declared that his bipolar disorder was in remission. In April, Cosmo's meds were reduced as he continued to make progress. His bouts of mania seemingly under control. As Cosmo continued to respond well to treatment, it was concluded in June that his bipolar disorder was in full remission. Okay, so that's interesting to me. I've actually never heard of a person being in remission when it comes to mental illness. And I thought it could be controlled, but would always need to be monitored. I mean, I know people who suffer from depression, and they'll tell me that it's something that stays with them all the time, and they just learn to control it, whether it's through medication, therapy, or some other way. Well, certain mental disorders can go into remission. And usually it'll be because doctors have found the right you know, balance of medication so that the frequency and severity of the symptoms, in, in Cosmo's case and in bipolar in general, we're talking about manic periods. Like the frequency and severity of these manic periods will diminish. And a person can get better with certain conditions. Got it. But something tells me that Cosmo wasn't really in remission, or we wouldn't be talking about him right now. Well, that's exactly what I mean. Something like bipolar, sure, he could go into remission, but not everything. And certainly not frontal lobe brain damage, leaving him violent, delusional, and unable to control his impulses. Cosmo's parents were advised to give him more space. As Cosmo yearned to return to some semblance of a normal life, he wanted friends, but old friends had shunned him. With Cosmo even posting on Facebook, it's official, I have no friends. The message broke his mother's heart. Cosmo DiNardo needed a friend. Instead, he got Sean Kratz himself a deeply, deeply troubled young man. In addition to being investigated for the attempted murder in Philadelphia, for which Sean was shot 19 times in apparent retaliation, in September of 2016, Sean flashed a gun and threatened to blow his nine-year-old brother's brains out and kill his sister. Things got so bad, Sean's mother, Vanessa, had him involuntarily committed to a psych hospital, too. But Sandra DiNardo didn't know about any of that. Or so she says, anyway, when she welcomed the second cousins spending time together, like two peas in a single fucked-up pod. Just them against the world. Holy shit. I mean, it's just incredibly ironic if, in fact, the mothers didn't know about each other's son's pasts, that they would then lean on each other for support and have their sons rekindle a lost family connection when each boy is so incredibly damaged and fucked up. Oh, they knew. <laughs> they knew. And I'm actually glad that you brought this up because I want to share the text conversations between the two mothers on the night of July 7th, 2017 the night Dean, Tom, and Mark went missing. 
Cosmo and Sean showed up at Cosmo's house in great spirits and and told Sandra that they had been out quadding, you know, riding ATVs. And Cosmo's mom, Sandra, texted Vanessa and she said, well, they sounded like they were having fun. To which Sean's mom, Vanessa, replied, I hope they both use their positives to cancel out their negatives, LOL. I'm sure you do too, and I think they will. And thank you, Sandra replied. Cosmo really needed a friend. Now that gives me fucking chills. I know, right? To read that with the benefit of hindsight really... It really hammers home just how shocking, how unexpected these crimes were. On Sunday, July 9th, 2017, Mark Sturgis's car was found, abandoned in a shopping center parking lot about 30 minutes north of Newtown, in Solberry Township, where the DiNardo family farm was. Police pinged Dean Finicaro's phone and traced it to the very same farm, too. And when they searched the farm, they found Dean's phone and Tom Mio's car hidden in an outbuilding containing both the title for the vehicle, which was weird enough, but also Tom's medically necessary diabetes kit, without which he'd be unable to administer the medication he needed to survive. A sort of don't-leave-home-without-it kind of thing. Jimmy Taro Patrick's phone had been traced to the area, too, and Cosmo DiNardo quickly became the focus of the investigation. Although suspicion is nice, evidence is needed. But at the same time, police didn't want a suspected homicidal maniac walking the streets while they did their investigating. So they got creative and revived those felony weapons charges that had been dropped back in February on a paperwork technicality. Apparently, they finally got that paperwork in order and Cosmo was arrested and held on a $1 million bond. No problem for the DiNardo family. And after putting up the required 10%, $100,000, Cosmo DiNardo was a free man. And meanwhile, police kept searching the farm. The largest search, in fact, in Bucks County history utilizing everything from backhoes to hand sifters, looking for any trace of those boys. Cosmo, of course, denied having anything at all to do with any of the disappearances, although he did confess that he had been with Dean Finicaro earlier on July 7th, before he vanished, but that he had let him out of his car on the side of the road after the two had had a disagreement. But as for the others... He knew them, sure, but hadn't seen them, and certainly hadn't been anywhere near the DiNardo family farm in Solbury, and had no idea why they found all of that evidence there. Well, this was quickly recognized as the utter bullshit that it was, and investigators had Cosmo rearrested the very next day. This time, after a friend of Cosmo's came forward, claiming that Cosmo 
had tried to sell him Tom Mio's car for $500. That's theft. And fraud. And that would explain why Tom Mio's car, along with its title, was found concealed in a shed on the 90-acre DiNardo property. Determined not to make the same mistake twice, this time, the judge set Cosmo's bail at $5 million. Cash. Too rich, even for DiNardo blood. So Cosmo's ass sat in jail while police kept digging. Literally. There were cadaver dogs and helicopters, but nothing. Until... On Thursday, July 13th, 2017, police were digging in a potential spot on the 90-acre farm where the cadaver dogs had indicated interest. With heavy equipment, they dug down. Eight, ten, twelve feet when, suddenly, they hit concrete. And within the concrete, a metal pig roaster. And within the metal pig roaster, the charred remains of Dean Finicaro, Tom Mio, and Mark Sturgis. No sign of Jimmy Patrick. Yet. After the first three bodies were found, Cosmo quickly confessed and described the series of events that led to the four boys ending up in holes on the family farm in gruesome detail. Four boys with no connection to each other other than they all shared the misfortune of knowing Cosmo DiNardo. Jimmy Tarot Patrick was a year behind Cosmo at Holy Ghost Prep, and rumor has it, Cosmo taught Jimmy how to make a little extra cash. Cosmo would pay kids to stand in line at shoe stores for the latest release of the hottest sneakers, and Cosmo would then turn around and sell the sneakers online for a profit. But it wasn't sneakers Jimmy was looking to buy off Cosmo on July 5th, 2017. It was weed, and a pretty hefty amount at that. Four pounds of it for $8,000. Good price, but that's a lot of weight. And quite frankly, Jimmy Patrick was a little over his head. He was more of a $800 guy, and that's all he had on him when Cosmo picked him up that night and drove him to the farm. And when they got there, Cosmo counted the money and was upset that Jimmy only had 800. He couldn't sell Jimmy the weed for $800. But, he said, he did have a shotgun he'd be willing to sell him. And as Jimmy Patrick examined this would-be shotgun, Cosmo DiNardo shot him dead. There never was four pounds of weed. So Cosmo just wanted to kill Jimmy for absolutely no reason at all. Jimmy was a dead man from the moment he got to Cosmo's car. I mean, no provocation, no nothing. Just wanted him to die. Well, according to an early statement from Cosmo um, after he confessed, um, he had apparently seen a gun in Jimmy's bag at the time of their drug deal. 
So he thought that Jimmy was going to kill him, creating this killer be killed kind of scenario. But who knows? You know, personally, I think dude's got brain damage, is severely mentally ill, and was just plain old fucking bored. I mean, I feel like a broken record when I see this, but this is just fucking terrifying. I get it. Look, there was a confluence of events that occurred, and all of them were bad. Every single one. And that is how monsters are made. After killing Jimmy, Cosmo then dug a hole with the DiNardo family backhoe, said a prayer, and put Jimmy in the hole. Two nights later, on July 7th, 2017, Cosmo DiNardo, now with Sean Kratz, purchased three five-gallon gas cans at Home Depot and filled them at the local gas station. From there, Cosmo and Sean picked up Dean Finicaro and drove him to the DiNardo farm, supposedly to sell him a quarter pound of marijuana. A quarter pound of marijuana that also didn't exist. Cosmo and Dean had known each other from their shared ATV riding hobby. And a friend of Dean's told police that Dean once bought a gun from Cosmo, but ended up backing out of the deal after the gun misfired. In any event, once on the farm, Sean and Dean went out for a ride on a couple of four-wheelers, a ride during which Sean was supposed to kill Dean. That was the plan, anyway. But Sean choked, couldn't go through with it, and the two returned from their ride with Dean very much alive. But it turned out all Sean Kratz needed was a little more time. For as the three young men stood in the barn admiring Cosmo's Vespa, Sean shot Dean in the back of the head, repeatedly. Oh, Cosmo shot him too after that, for good measure, but Dean was already dead. Sean ran outside and puked. Dean's body was then wrapped in a tarp and placed in an old oil tank that had been converted into a pig roaster. Well, that was fun, they must have thought, because then they did it again. Later that very same day, Cosmo had plans to pick up Tom Mio at a shopping center not far from the farm in Solbury. But when Cosmo got there, Tom wasn't alone. His best friend, Mark Sturgis, was with him. You see, Tom, too, was looking to buy some weed from Cosmo, but must have got a bad feeling because he enlisted Mark to come along to the meet in his own car. But Cosmo ultimately convinced Tom and Mark to follow him back to the farm, and Mark jumped into Tom's car, leaving Mark's car behind at the shopping center where it would be discovered, abandoned, two days later. Once at the farm, the boys could sense something was not right. That's how Cosmo says he perceived it, anyway. But he's an often hallucinating paranoid schizophrenic, so maybe don't take his word for it. But regardless, 
As soon as Tamio turned around, Cosmo shot him in the back, dropping him instantly. Then, turning to Mark Sturgis, Cosmo emptied the gun into him before Mark could even get a word out. Now out of bullets, there was a problem. Tom Mio was still alive. The bullet that dropped him hadn't killed him, only paralyzed him. Now this might have been a problem for a lesser psychopath, but not for Cosmo DiNardo. And as Tom lay there, unable to move and screaming, I can't feel my legs, I can't feel my legs, Cosmo, horrifically, calmly, hopped up onto the backhoe and ran him over, crushing him. From there, Cosmo and Sean put both bodies into the pig roaster with Dean Finicaro, doused them all with gasoline, and lit them all on fire. And as their bodies burned, Cosmo and Sean went out for cheesesteaks. I shit you not. Holy shit. And this info, I mean, it's obviously coming straight from Cosmo and Sean themselves. I mean, they didn't even try to sugarcoat anything or say it was self-defense or anything. I mean, they come off as the most cold-blooded, heartless, psychotic fuckers imaginable. Yeah. Well, um, interestingly enough, Cosmo had been off of his meds for a bit before he was arrested and interrogated. So he was manic, right? He was telling the investigators these horrific things, confessing to all of these horrible, horrible things as if he was describing a scene from a movie. Like, high energy, excited, almost buddy-buddy with them. Until at the end, when he turns on a dime and breaks down into a complete, ugly cry, sobbing mess, lamenting his shitty life choices. It's fascinating to witness. Wow, that's so interesting. So it's almost as if he's having an outer body experience as he's describing what happened. And then maybe he realized that he's not quite acting the way he should act in this situation. And then he starts overcompensating with the crying. Maybe, you know. Ugh, look, who knows? But what I think is that his mood switch got flipped. Like, in that room, in that interrogation, he went from manic to depressive. And added to that, you know, he... He probably can't decipher what behavior is appropriate in certain situations because of the traumatic brain injury. Like, he is broken. The next day, July 8th, Cosmo and Sean returned to the farm to finish the job, using that trusty backhoe to dig a 12-foot-deep, cement-encased tomb for their victims. And there were nearly more victims, too. Three times on July 7th, Cosmo had called his father, Tony, asking Tony 
urgently to come to the family farm alone. But when good old two-time Tony showed up with his mistress in the car, he too got a suspicious feeling and quickly turned around and left the lucky little home wreckers. In May of 2018, Cosmo DiNardo pleaded guilty to four counts of first-degree murder. To avoid the death penalty, he agreed to show police exactly where on the farm Jimmy Taro Patrick's body was buried, just about a half a mile from where he'd buried the others. He was sentenced to four consecutive life terms. Sean Kratz was found guilty of first-degree murder in the death of Dean Finicaro and of voluntary manslaughter in the deaths of Tom Mio and Mark Sturgis. He was sentenced to life in prison, plus an additional 18 to 36 years. They'll file appeals, but good luck. It's funny. Sean actually had a deal in place that would have given him less time. But at the last minute, he rejected the deal. Now he'll never get out. Really putting that 79 IQ to good use. Thank God he'll never get out. Both of them. I mean, they are psychopaths. Full stop. I mean, Cosmo clearly was not in remission with his mental illness. And it seems like he would just kill again, given the chance. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Cosmo would kill again. Sean? I don't know. You know, I mean, he he would if Cosmo did, you know? Sad but true, but I don't think Sean Kratz has a mind of his own. Yeah, Sean just seems very impressionable. And as if he was Cosmo's little minion to do with him as he pleased. I mean, they both belonged in a psychiatric institution and should never have been off their meds. Absolutely. They both spent enough time there anyway, you know, at least if they had been hospitalized. These boys with productive lives ahead of them would still be alive. And I'd make that trade any day. All right, you guys, that concludes The Lost Boys, the story of one tragic week in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, brought about by two second cousin shit-sipping fuckwads. And that concludes season four of Killer Heart to Hearts. We can't tell you enough, guys, how much we love doing this podcast and how much it means to us that you choose to spend part of your week here. We'll be back in March with more stories about the worst among us. So make sure to catch the next episode of Killer Heart to Hearts. Killer Heart to Hearts is produced, written, and hosted by Elise Budell and William Cannon and is engineered by Jordan Calhoun.